Welcome to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners. I'm your host, Maureen Warbach. Hey guys, today I want to talk about all things relating to paperwork. I know a bunch of you have asked about what paperwork is important to have in a group practice, so I want to use this episode to talk strictly about paperwork. I'm going to start with the most important paperwork, and that's your intake paperwork. Obviously, if you're in solo practice, you have some sort of intake paperwork, and not really much has to change once you start a group practice. So you'll obviously still have your outpatient service contract that lists what services you have to offer, um, as well as what availability you have between sessions. And here's where there might be a little bit of change happening, obviously, between you being a solo practitioner to moving to group practice status. The availability between sessions needs to be a little bit more streamlined. So I have a 24-hour voicemail box, and that is listed on my availability section that any you can leave a message for any therapist on their 24-hour voicemail box at their specific extension and they will give you a call within 24 hours. There's also the line that everyone knows which is to call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room if there is an emergency. Um, We list on there as well that we make every effort to return calls in a timely manner in the rare occurrence that a message is missed or accidentally deleted. If you don't hear back within a day, call back and leave another message. If we're unavailable for an extended amount of time, if any one of us is on vacation, we have something listed about who the alternate contact is. So we have an on-call kind of therapist that we have um, that we coordinate between each other. So if I'm on vacation, I'll let my clinical director know, hey, um, I'll let my clients know that you're available if they need you. Um, So we have that listed in our availability between sessions. So that might be the first section where there's a little bit of change between you being the only therapist and having multiple therapists. Then you have your rates and insurance that you talk about, and this also may change once you have more therapists. So in my practice, it stayed the same for a while until we hired a few psychologists to do testing. So that was where we had to make some changes in terms of an initial intake appointment with me might be different than an initial intake appointment with um, our psychologist and our counseling sessions are a little bit different in price. So that needed to be adjusted, but that needs to be in the paperwork as well. Um, We also added our social media policy, which is something that everyone should have in there. Essentially just saying that we maintain confidentiality um, in our social media accounts. So if we have a Facebook business page, Um, We won't interact with them on there as well as not liking them or friending them on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or any of the other social networking uh, sites that there are. And um, we put that in there um, so that they so that they know ahead of time. So you don't have to have the awkward conversation, which you might end up having to do anyways um, once they do friend you. We also talk about in the social media policy not soliciting testimonials or ratings from clients on our website, which is a big no-no, at least in therapy terms. 
if you have a coaching practice that that might be a little different. But in terms of psychotherapy, um, you should not be asking for testimonials from your clients. And so if they do leave a Yelp review or uh, some other review on your business page or anywhere else that essentially having in your paperwork that you are not asking them to provide any sort of feedback or ratings um, is good to have in the paperwork. We have a section also in our intake paperwork on professional records and confidentiality. So how they can request records, who can request records, how they need to request records, as well as confidentiality, um, discussing with minors and with adults, in which cases we can um, break or release information. We have that all listed. We have a section on minors. We've recently changed since we have a lot of clinicians in our practice and a lot of them do see kids. We've had a couple of times where you know parents are divorced and one parent wants the child in but the other one doesn't. And this is a state-by-state issue, but in Illinois, you only need one parent's consent. But we've made it uh, a rule for our practice that we get both parents' consent so that there is a sense of everyone kind of being on the same page and less risk on our end later on in the day. So we have that listed in the minors section as well. Something to think about, but also to look within your state regulations if both parents need to approve of them being in counseling or not, and then making sure that you have that listed in there if so. We also list our court-related services. We do charge per hour to prepare any legal paperwork or proceedings, going to court, anything like that. And I know that other clinicians have a clause in there that says that they will not attend court. And um, so just to make sure that if you are able to do that and want to do that, that you list that in the court-related section. But we have a charge and we list that. We let them know that it's not covered by insurance. And we list the types of services like talking with attorneys, preparing documents, traveling to and from court, depositions or court appearances. We have that in the section relating to court-related information. We also list where they can send complaints to, which everyone should have on there as well. If someone has a billing complaint or a complaint about their therapist, and then after that, we have our notice of privacy practices, which is something that you can get online and should, you should already have that in your intake paperwork if you're a solo practitioner. And I'm just scrolling through here to make sure I, I list everything that I have. And that's where my demographic information sheet comes in, where I have the, I have listed the client's name, their sex, their date of birth, If they want to have paperless email, I have a checkbox so that they authorize paperless uh, emails for their statements. And I also have a little checkbox if they're interested in receiving newsletters from us so that I'm getting their authorization if they do put their email in that they are either A, wanting the paperless invoices or A and B of wanting our monthly newsletter that talks about some workshops and blog articles that we write having the client's address, phone number, cell phone, um, a checkbox for whether or not you're allowed to leave a voicemail message or a text message on their phone relating to appointments or anything like that. We have a checkbox, yes or no, for that. And then we have, because we take insurance as well, policyholder information. 
and emergency contact information. We also ask at the bottom uh, if they take any medication or have any medical conditions and how they were referred to us because we keep track of where our referrals are coming from. After that, we have our release of information sheet and a credit card on file form. Um, This is something that I started a couple of years ago. Um, Before then, we were just taking payments at sessions or billing them. And it's really tightened up our uh, budget a ton. We have much less income that we're waiting for from clients since we started having the credit card on file form. So we have that that just says payments are due at the time of service, but that in lieu of paying at each session for their copay or their full fee, that they can leave their credit card on file and we charge it once per month at the first of the month, between the first and the third. And they initial and sign and put, put their credit card information in there. And we put that into Therapy Notes, which is our EHR system. And it encrypts it and um, and saves that information for us. I know of other therapists who charge cards at the end of each day, and that would also be probably an even better idea. We do it once per month, but we're so large that doing it every day would be a lot of work. But um, doing it each day will help you catch any dec- credit card declines. Whereas when I wait a month, there's a potential for someone's credit card to decline after four sessions. It's very rare, um, but it's something to think about as well. So we keep a credit card on file for no-shows and for charging any co-pays or balances from the previous month. And it's worked wonderfully. We've had just a few people that complained about that, uh, leaving a credit card on file. And then we just say you don't have to, but then you just have to make sure that you pay your co-pay or your you know, full pay at the time of the session. And, you know, we can't see you if if you don't bring that money. So then those people can pay each time they come in and they do. It's just that probably 90% of uh, the people that we see in the practice would prefer not to have to worry about making payments every time they're in, in the office. And a lot of kids come straight from school and they don't have money. So the credit card on file policy has really helped us a ton. Another document that we have that is a newer document is an authorization for audiovisual sessions, so tele-mental health. That is something that is becoming more popular and utilized more often. We use something called doxy.me, but there are a ton of platforms that you can use that are HIPAA compliant to do Skype-like sessions. Um, like I said, ours is doxy. So we have a uh, authorization form that they have to sign if they want to have audiovisual sessions. And I feel like this is something that's useful to have ahead of time so you're not trying to <clears throat> throw one together last minute. <coughs> Sorry about that. So you don't have to throw one together last minute when someone decides that they would prefer to have a Skype or Doxy sort of session. So we have one of those and it's essentially describes what the risks and benefits are for audiovisual uh, teletherapy and has their signature and lets them know what platform they're using that it's HIPAA compliant. Another form that we use in terms of consent forms is our therapy outside of the office. And this informed consent form is for people who are either doing exposure work, exposure response prevention work outside of the office, and for um, we have a park right across the street from us. And some people like to do therapy in the summertime outside. 
And so we have this consent form that also describes they have to sign their name and initial giving their consent to do therapy outside, what the risks are to therapy outside, like the potential for seeing someone that they know, um, that they won't be forced to face any stimuli without agreeing to it, that if, you know, discusses if they have any physical ailments that they should not be doing walk and talk therapy or exposure therapy outside. And it's essentially letting them know of any you know, potential issues that can come up with being outside and doing therapy outside of the office setting. So we have one of those as well, just in case, um, because we have a therapist who does exposure response prevention and a few of us who like to be outside and get the sun while we do therapy. So that's it for the intake paperwork to look on. So in that, I, to kind of recap, talked about our HIPAA forms, our release of information, our consent for treatment, so describing what it is that, what type of therapy you guys are doing, what they should expect from receiving therapy at your practice, a demographic sheet, a credit card on file form, and then the authorization for teletherapy or therapy outside of the office. Um, I have all of these ready and set for when we may need them. I now want to get to another really important piece of paperwork for private practice, and that is your independent contractor and or employee contracts. So essentially for the independent contractor or employee agreement, you're going to want to have a lawyer or an attorney take a look at that and put that together for you. Um, You can also use, there's a ton of private practice consultants that have sample ones that they use that you can have your attorney still take a look at and it will be a little less expensive in that they don't have to draft one up completely, but that they can make any minor adjustments that they need to based off of the state that you're in and the laws in that state and also the special requests that you have specific to your group practice. But essentially for the independent contractor agreement, you want to make sure that you're talking about compensation that you're talking about the duties that the independent contractor uh, needs to have to work in your practice, what happens with records in your practice, who they belong to, do they belong to the independent contractor, do they belong to the practice, what happens if your independent contractor decides to leave, Um, describes your facility and who they belong to, malpractice insurance, Um, is a big thing to have listed in there, making sure that you list that they need to have their own malpractice insurance and what the terms of that insurance needs to be, as well as any expenses that the independent contractor may have, like their professional fees and dues, continuing education, maintaining their own computer possibly. So looking at what it is that they need to make sure that they uh, pay for, as well as any limitations that the independent contractor has for working at at your practice. So it might be with regards to the belongings, you know, that the books and stuff that printer and all that that's in the office is under the ownership of the practice. Then you want to make sure that you talk about termination and what happens. How can they terminate? How can you terminate your relationship with them? And making sure that that's uh, as specific as possible. Um, Another is the non-solicitation clause that a lot of people have talk with an attorney about that because I've seen some clauses that are pretty strict that 
can't really be enforceable, but um, you can list your non-solicitation piece in there as well. Any specific performance issues. So obviously the difference between an independent contractor and an employee is that there's more control that you can have in your business and the people working in your business if they're employees versus independent contractors. But there's still some um, basic performance-related expectations that you can have for your independent contractor. And so listing that is important, as well as what happens if there's any damages made by the independent contractor in your business. Any expenses or fees that are incurred if anyone, either you or the independent contractor, breaches the contract, who those fees go to. And what happens in with regards to severability? So the independent contractor um, contract should be looked at by an attorney, but basically those are the main components to it. Uh, an employee contract looks very similar, but is a little bit more detailed uh, than having a independent contractor agreement. So with the employee agreement, you're going to be listing um, mine is, I think. I think like six more pages than my independent contractor contract. But in that, I I list what my percentage of my the split between the payroll, what I pay them and what percentage goes to my business. I list what um, my expenses are so that they know what the percentage that my business takes goes towards. It also, I talk about their professional license, compensation, Um, We have a bonus structure, so I talk about our bonus structure and eligibility and how the system works, the bonus system works. We also pay for their malpractice insurance, and so I just have that listed in there, as well as health insurance that we are able to offer. I talk about time off and how to request time off and how much time off they're allowed. I also talk about sick pay, since we, in the state of No, not in the state of Illinois, in the city of Chicago only, not the whole state. As of uh, July of 2017, we have to have paid sick time. So I've already incorporated that into their contracts on how to calculate their paid sick time. And obviously, if you're paying a percentage, it gets kind of messy with figuring out what the flat rate is per hour of sick time if you're billing insurances that have varying rates. So that's listed in my contract as well, as well as the patients, who the patients belong to, quote unquote, as well as what happens if an employee wants to leave and how close they can set up shop, how long after they leave here are they able to contact their uh, clients. This is something that also I've seen very vastly between group practices in my group practice, it's very minimal. They just need to be within, they have to be, to be, to be, be. what do I have? I want to say five miles, but I think it's almost three miles away. Mm, I don't remember. I'm trying to look here now, but the city of Chicago has so many therapists to be, even if you're just one mile away for me, that's more than enough for them to set up shop. Um, that's not something that I feel threatened by. So I have it very minimal, but when I used to work at a group practice, the clause for me as an employee was a 20 mile radius, which I think is slightly out there. Um, so you want to talk about that. So if, if, if they do want to leave, 
how are they able to contact their existing clients? For me, it's more important that the client gets to continue care with their therapist. But I do have some stuff in place so that people aren't coming to the practice to to my practice to gain all their clients and then, you know, pick up and go three months later. Uh, well, fortunately, that hasn't happened, but I have some stuff in place so that I can make sure that, you know, that stuff doesn't happen. So, yes, you want to talk about termination and how payment happens upon termination. You actually want that. I must have missed that. But in the independent contractor agreement, you also want to list how do they get paid after termination if there's sessions that haven't been paid for yet. Do you have to pay them even if you haven't gotten paid as a practice by the insurance or by the client? Um, You have to have that all kind of laid out in the contract as well just to make sure. And then... That is essentially it for my, and then you want to have a power of attorney form on there so that any mail that is sent to the practice and has the practice name, but also their name that you're able to open it. So claims, uh, payments and all that kind of fun stuff. So that's it for contracts. But again, I suggest making sure that you have an attorney take a look at it just because they're in so many different rules state by state, but also rules are changing. Like I just learned about three weeks ago. In Chicago, if you own a business, you have to start paying your employees a paid sick time. So figuring that stuff out and having someone that you trust as an employment lawyer would be a huge benefit to your practice uh, to have. So the last and what I find to be my kind of favorite and really important document that I've been putting together and playing with little by little is my employee manual. This is probably not as important if you are starting a group practice or have a group practice that is comprised of only independent contractors. But mine, I have all employees except for my psychologist who does psych testing. She's an independent contractor, so she does not need the employee manual. But the employee manual is really helpful in that I can give this to all my new hires and it answers literally almost every question that my new employees have ever had. Mine starts out with giving all the information that I need from them when they are first hired, like a copy of their license, um, a W-9, a W Illinois W-4, a photo, a temporary photo, because I have a professional photographer that comes and takes pictures, but a temporary photo as well as a bio that is speaking to their ideal clients. I put that up on my website right away, even before they can start, so that their face can start being can start be seeing, blah, so that their face can start being seen on our website. Sorry about that. Um, and then I also talk about psychology today in Chicago. Having a psychology today profile is really important, so I have them set that up as well. And finally, a voided check and a direct deposit form filled out because I use Intuit full service payroll and um, have all the employees do set up direct deposit. I also then list my practice name and address, physical and claims address, as well as phone number, fax, group NPI and tax ID number, only because when they start filling out credentialing paperwork, that those are the types of questions that you're going to be asked a ton of times is what's the group tax ID number? Are you an S corp or are you a LLC? So I list that stuff so that they can start the application process for the insurances. And then I list in detail, what are the steps? So I talk about getting your MPI number first and where to get that. I talk about CAQH and I have a link 
right there so that they can click on it and register. And then I talk about the different insurances that we do take and which ones we don't. And I have links set up for every website. So I make it super easy in the employee manual for them to know, okay, I need to sign up for Blue Cross Blue Shield. I need to sign up for United, whatever it is. And I let them know, is it an individual application or is it under our group? Because some insurances allow group paneling, some allow only individual paneling. So I let them know of this, as well as a contact email for each insurance company. And then I talk about policies and procedures. So things to help you succeed. I start from the beginning. So opening and closing. In my office, I like I don't like the overhead lights to be on and I want the lamps all to be on and Pandora to be playing. So I let them know when if you're the first in or you're the last out, make sure you turn on or off all the lamps. Don't turn on the overhead lights in the waiting room. Make sure that the Pandora is playing. Um, and then I, I, I talk about opening and closing. I talk about payroll as well. So when are they going to get paid? Are they being paid biweekly? Is it on the 1st and the 15th or on the 3rd of the month? Is it direct deposit? Letting them know what, you know, what, how, what they should expect in terms of payment, where it's going to come in, who they can ask questions to regarding paychecks and payments. And I also there also describe where the percentage that my practice takes is going towards. So I list rent and all call technologies, which is our phone system, insurance, malpractice insurance, intake and billing person that I have, therapy notes that I use for EHR, marketing, Google apps for work, uh, Intuit payroll, credit card processing, office supplies, all that. So I list that so they know where, where it's all going. I also talk about marketing. Since I pay for two hours worth of marketing per month, if they fill out a marketing log that I have before payroll, they can get paid for two hours worth of marketing. I talk about that in there as well, how they can, where they can market to, what are my expectations with regards to what they can qualify as marketing. So for me, sending an email doesn't count. Uh, having a phone conversation doesn't count, but being face-to-face, going to a place, handing your business cards and talking to someone does. So I list that in there as well. Um, I offer a retirement IRA contribution, a matching of 3%. So I talk about that and who they can contact if they want to set up their IRA stuff. Since they don't need to contact me and let me know, I give them the representative who handles our stuff and and I put all of their information right in there. So it keeps me out of it um, and, and leads me time to be able to do what it is that I need to do. But I list everything in there, who they have to contact if they want to ask any questions or set themselves up with an IRA. I also talk about our health insurance plan because we have health insurance now for 2017, which they're currently in the process of enrolling in. But for the future, who they can contact to get on our insurance if they need to. I talk about our male practice insurance and who we use and that I will give them a face sheet once they start with their name on the malpractice face sheet. I talk about our emails and phone systems. So we have um, everyone gets an urban wellness, which is my group practice email, and they get a phone line extension from uh, All Call Technologies, and they also get a Google Apps for Work that's where their email goes through, uh, Google Apps for Work, which is secure. But they also get a Virtue account, which lets them send HIPAA-compliant, secure emails to clients if they ever needed to because everyone ends up sending one or two every once in a while. I talk about our fax system. We have an e-fax 
it explains what link they can go to and how to send a fax so that I don't get a question by every one of my therapists when they start of, how do I send a fax? I give the username and password to that. I talk about our doxy.me account for the telemental health services in there, our password, username, what the client, you know, if you what web browsers you're allowed to use, which ones you're not allowed to use. I talk about our EHR system, therapy notes, and what their username is going to be, what what it's used for. So like for us, it's used for scheduling, our notes, billing insurance. I talk about our clinical director since we have one. So if you have a supervisor or if you're going to be offering supervision, it's good to list that in there as well as how can they ask for supervision if there's a specific time that supervision is given. If you do group supervision, which we do every Monday at 12, we have a group staff meeting where we can get supervision in case consultation with everyone. It's For us, it's not required. We'll be here to, to have it, whether there's one person or all 15 of us. I talk about our new client packet, our intake paperwork, and what they should just make sure um, to do with it. So, yes, make sure you read over it because you wouldn't believe how many people don't actually read, even the clinicians, read through the intake paperwork and understand it without just giving it to clients and having them sign it. I also talk about our expectations with new clients with regards to from the first phone call to when they come in for their first appointment, you know, that we check benefits, that a payment, they either have to fill out the credit card on file form or make payments, their copay or deductible or their full fee rate at every session, that we let, that we need both parents to sign a consent form for the client to be seen if it's a kid. Um, what else? We let them know about our no-show or late cancel uh, fee and what, when they would get that, and I list that in there as well so that they have a sort of script for that. I talked to them about our intake therapist, who's one of our therapists in the office, and how she does the intakes and you know how they'll be notified of a new client. Again, I already brought this up, but I talk about the late show and late cancel, no show and late cancel fees, which are our full rate. And I also explain that it is up to them on whether or not they want to charge. It's something I let them kind of being control in. I talk, um, ooh, I noticed I have payroll in here twice, but payroll, time off, how they, you know, how much time off they're allowed. Again, I know it's in the contract, but having it in a policy manual is a little bit easier to read than the contract. So I relist that in there and to let our clinical director know if they're going to call off just so that we can keep tabs on it since I don't really care how much time off if it's not, you know, three months out of the year. I'm not worried about it. But now that in Chicago, we have to pay sick time, we have to actually calculate how much, how many hours they're actually working. And so it's, for us, it's a little bit more important now. I have a tab on legal help. So in Illinois, and I think every state has some of this, but we use Nye Law Group. I paid for their legal services. They have like a tele help service where you can call their lawyers and if you have a question about legal any sort of legal question relating to client case consultation you can call them and they will give you the legal help that you need so i paid for through 2017 for all of our therapists to be able to call so they don't have to contact me or my clinical director every single time and wait for us to be available they can pick up the phone call nye law group they have all of our clinicians' information in there, and they can say, hey, I have a case where a client said he's suicidal, but 
not actively, but he seems a little more distressed. And I'm not sure if I'm supposed to, you know, if I should call 911 or if it's, you know, I don't want to break confidentiality and they'll be able to help you through, you know, through that. So I have that legal help, which I think is really great. And I list that in there so that they know that they have it. And then I talk about our staff meetings as well and when they are and that they're able to come if they want to. And then I have in my last section other small notes like that if they want a blog to let me know and write they're willing they're more than able to write a blog article and I'll post it on our website and I talk about the pros to that that clients get to see their hear their voice in a sense other than in their bio and I um, talk a little bit about marketing and how they can market themselves or network them, themselves best. And also about, you know, texting with clients and making sure that you're setting really good boundaries with your clients um, outside of the session, especially. So that's mainly the the most important ones that I wanted to go in detail with. But just as a quick kind of ending here, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of the other documents that maybe aren't as important, but that I'm glad I have. One is a letterhead. Very easy to make. You can make that on Canva if you wanted to. Um, But that's a good sort of face sheet to have when you're sending faxes and when you need to write letters to insurance companies or providers. I also have a fee schedule spreadsheet that I say that I share with all of my employees so that they know for a 90791 with Blue Cross, this is what the rate is with Cigna or Aetna or United, whatever insurances you're with. If you do take insurance, I have the fee schedules for every insurance and CPT code listed. So they it's really transparent and the clinician knows how much um, each insurance reimburse so that they can calculate their percentage of that. So I have that. I have the marketing log that I mentioned before, which is essentially just an Excel spreadsheet with the date, how much time they spent since I pay for two hours worth, the company or business they went to, the name of the person they met with, and what they discussed. So it gives me a feel for you know who they went to, how long they were there, what kind of conversations they had, if they left business cards, if they are planning any sort of future meeting. Um, I have that in there as well. And then I have a referral spreadsheet that I have in our Google Docs that is shared with everyone that I think is really cool. Not not super important, but the bigger your business gets, the better it is and the nicer it is that you have it. But it's just contacts, referral contacts that we have for various things like child psychiatrists, adult psychiatrists that our therapists have either met with and trust or that I've met with and trust. Uh, therapists, other therapists that specialize in things that we don't specialize in. So we have someone that specializes in eating disorders nearby that we refer to. I put her information in there so that um, we're not always getting emails from different therapists. Now, you know, the bigger you get, the more emails come to you with, I I think, 15 therapists now. So on a daily basis, someone's looking for a referral for EMDR, you know, addictions counseling because our addictions therapist is full or whatever. So we have a spreadsheet that everyone has the ability to write into or type into. And we have categories from sexual disorders, uh, couples, addictions, adoptions, autism, career counseling, partial programs, IOPs, OCD, mm, and then psychiatry for children and adults. So we have a lot of different contacts, but uh, that spreadsheet or that form has really been super helpful for us as a group practice. And I think, oh, um, 
I don't have this on me right now, but I have a couple of other forms that I find useful if you are using insurance or you take insurance as a group practice. One is an insurance termination request and one is a fee schedule increase request. And I think in one of my next podcast episodes, I'll talk about fee schedule increases and how to get them as a group practice owner um, because I've had really good success this year in getting every one of the insurances that I'm paneled with except for Blue Cross of Illinois because they, they're the highest paying and they don't give increases. But all of the other ones I was able to. So um, I have a fee schedule increase request form and an insurance termination request form that I have that I can use if I, if I ever need to. So if anyone has any questions with getting paperwork for their group practice ready, I do have a paperwork packet for your group practice uh form list of forms that you can purchase on my website at thegrouppracticeexchange.com. Um, you go to the group practice startup tab and at the bottom you'll see, are you looking for paperwork? And I have for $99, I have our new client pa- packet, which has the credit card form, the teletherapy, so the online or phone counseling authorization form, the authorization for counseling outside, the release of information, HIPAA forms, consent for treatment, demographic sheet, also the employee contract and a sample independent contractor contract. I have a sample profit and loss spreadsheet, business plan form, marketing log for your therapist, as well as a client appointment form. This is only useful for anyone who doesn't use an EHR system that needs to know if their clinicians saw someone and if they took money from someone, but I have a form that is super concise and nice for that an employee manual template, and then the insurance termination request and a fee schedule increase request uh, form that I've used that you just would tailor to your own needs. So if, if you don't feel like making all of these things yourself, you can go on the website and you can purchase that for $99 on the website. All right. So I think I've covered basically everything and really have run to 40 minutes, which is much longer than I thought I was going to. Sorry, talking about paperwork for 40 minutes isn't that exciting to listen to, I'm sure. But if you have questions, feel free to send me an email. My email is maureen at urban... Nope, that's my group practice (laughs) email. Uh, It is maureen at thegrouppracticeexchange.com. All right, I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. We'll see you next week.